Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. So there's a story that is uh, making its way across this country, and uh, it's actually an international story, but it applies right here at home, and it's the story of China establishing, quote, police stations, end quote, three of them in Canada. They're not just doing it in Canada. They're doing it internationally and have been for some time. What's their objective? Well, let's ask our guest. He's a former Reuters journalist who later established a corporate risk advisory firm in Shanghai. I'll give you a little background here. On the 10th of July, 2013, our guest, Peter Humphrey, was at home with his wife, getting ready for their day in China when police kicked in their door, separated Peter and his wife from each other, and both of them from their son. And it would be two years before they were reunited. Mr. Humphrey's experience in China in confinement was horrendous. In 2015, Peter Humphrey was deported from China to the UK after a great deal of international outcry. He was diagnosed with advanced prostate cancer, and he's been struggling with his health since. Last year, the UK's television regulator found China's party state broadcaster had aired forced TV confessions, including one by Peter Humphrey. And Peter joins us on the Roy Green Show. Peter, thank you very much. Uh, first of all, how are you? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm hardly through. Um, you know, my, my health is manageable, and uh, I'm spending a lot of time focused on China now. Well, let's talk about China and this police station reality. For many Canadians, it's a question mark. What's going on? What is China doing with three, quote, police stations, end quote, in this country? But it's not that unusual. They do this sort of thing internationally. Please share with us what it's about. <laughs> well, yes, I'm, I'm aware that Canada is now investigating the presence of illegal Chinese police stations on your soil. Um, and I've also seen um, a, a Chinese response to this saying that they're just helping their citizens who live in Canada to get new driving licenses and so forth. Well, you have to laugh at that one because, you know, there are now quite a number of countries where Chinese police stations have been reported as being present. And there's been, there's been a similar incident um, to yours in Holland and Britain. Um, I've obtained a list in Chinese from an online source which lists the addresses of three Chinese police stations in my own country, two in London and one in Scotland. And Ireland has announced um, this week that it's shutting one down in Dublin. So the, the Irish seem to have a bit more courage, evidently. But it seems to me that these police stations um, are often controlled out of China's Fujian province. And I, I don't know why yet, but the city of Fuzhou often figures in their names. It's a really bizarre threat. And I think you need to see it in the wider context of a massive Chinese influence and infiltration campaign across the whole world, disrespecting other countries' sovereignty. Now, I could reel off a whole list of those things if you want. Um, you know, the so-called Confucius Institutes, which have been used to subvert our universities, um, for example, and illegal renditions of Chinese fugitives back to China, kidnappings included. Um, the misuse of Interpol red notices and extradition requests, espionage as well, of course, spying on Chinese ethnic communities abroad, including in Canada. Um, and we had a really interesting incident here in the UK just a week ago 
in Manchester, where there was a group of peaceful protesters from Hong Kong uh, protesting outside the gates of the, the consulate, and a group of consular staff, in other words, diplomats, came out of the gate and physically attacked these protesters, and they dragged one of them back into the yard of the consulate and beat the hell out of him. And even the consul general himself was filmed personally pulling the hair of this poor man. Um, you know, uh, it just goes on and on, this list of things that China does abroad in complete disregard and disrespect for the laws of the countries concerned. Um, and, you know, uh, China's dictator, Xi Jinping, um, has just grabbed more power. And all of these abuses that we see on, on foreign soil have all happened under Xi Jinping's rule during the last 10 years. And he's just now grabbed a lot more power um, at the Communist Party's five-yearly Congress a week ago. And if you look at the speech, speeches he gave at that Congress, and the messages in the speech speeches are very clear. He signaled that China under sea is about to become even more aggressive in its behavior um, towards the rest of the world. So I think it's a pretty dismal situation. And uh, the governments who are victims of this uh, Chinese Communist Party behavior need to, need to fight back. Yeah, there was a story here that Safeguard Defenders, you're very familiar with them, um, international organization which monitors and reports on China's extracurricular activities, they're saying that uh, China and its police forces, extracurricularly, persuaded, quote-unquote, 230,000 individuals living outside China to, quote, voluntarily, end quote, return to China and face potential criminal charges. So a rendition of almost a quarter million people. That's right. I mean, this is going on for quite a number of years under Xi Jinping. I mean, he started this thing um, 10 years ago. Um, it had a couple of names. One of them was Operation Fox Hunt. And his, his idea was bring back all these fugitives, um, some of them supposedly corruption uh, offenders, but a lot of them actually political uh, fugitives, bring them back to China and punish them by every which way. So when you talked about this 230,000 number, this is probably a number which goes back over this, this 10-year period. But, you know, what we've been seeing in the, in the latest story over the last week or two is something new. It's a new phenomenon, um, which, you know, we, I don't think we knew until very recently that there were these police outposts Chinese police outposts heavily involved in this kind of thing. And we're beginning to now get um, uh, anecdotal reports from individual Chinese living in different countries um, around Europe and so forth, that indeed people from these police outposts have been involved in that so-called persuasion campaign. And normally that persuasion involves harassment. It could, it could even involve illegal detention, um, but it certainly involves harassment, and it usually involves blackmail. It involves threats against family members who are still living in China. So the pressure is enormous, and that is how they, they're persuaded that a number of people to go back. When I was in, in Qingpu prison in Shanghai myself back in 2013, 2014, 2015, that period, um, I met several Chinese prisoners who had come back to China that way from various countries. One, one of my cellmates 
has been persuaded to come back from Thailand. So this persuasion has been going on for a long time, that the sudden revelation of all these illegal police stations in our country, your country, and so forth, is something rather new. Um, and I think it expresses um, an incredible cheek on the part of the Chinese, uh, violating sovereignty, and we need to stand up to it. Yeah. Uh, well, the Chinese ambassador has very bluntly attacked Canada and perceived Canadian policies toward Beijing from right here in Canada. Uh, Peter, would China be concerned at all about an RCMP investigation into its so-called police stations within this country? Do they care? Um, I think they probably care because, you know, this method that they've been using has now been rumbled. And, and I think we're going to see investigations similar to yours being carried out in quite a number of countries. Um, I believe the Netherlands has, has already uh, started one as well. Um, I think I put my fraud investigator's hat on for a minute because that, that's what I was. I was a fraud investigator in China. And, you know, one of the key things when a, when a company name or an organization name drops on your desk and you're, you're told to investigate them, um, in this case, a so-called alleged police station at a particular address, you, you do searches on, on corporate registration records, for example, because I think it's highly likely um, that these outposts may have registered, registered themselves as companies locally. Um, and it would be interesting to check that and pull the records and see whose names are on those records. That would be very helpful in taking this investigation a step further. Peter, do you, uh, do you know what led to your incarceration? What were they after? Well, um, you know, I had I had spent, as you know, I spent 20 years in journalism, and then the 15 years after that, I spent in the due diligence industry, um, mostly working for Western companies, you know, inside their operations to investigate fraud and root out fraud and corruption inside their business operations. And I had my own company called ChinaWise for 10 years. Um, nothing went wrong, and then one day um, it did go. And, you know, there was that knock on the door and, you know, dozens of police burst into our premises and, as you said, um, locked us up. And, and we were charged with illegally acquiring personal information, um, which was a completely false charge because we had not used illegal methods in our, in our work. Um, but, it, you know, it appeared that we had offended a particular person who we investigated on behalf of one of our clients. And that person somehow got wind of our investigation because somehow um, our client had been clumsy with our report. And as a result, you know, she asked her police friends to arrest us. And, and that is what happened. Um, and we went through a tremendous uh, ordeal for the next two years, as you pointed out, as a result of that. Um, essentially, you know, the, the due diligence industry is very much a part of any normal functioning market economy. Um, you have it in Canada. We have it here in the UK. Um, there are privacy restrictions which you must follow. Um, if you're in that industry, you've got to try and obey the law and so forth. Um, we did in China. We were fully compliant. Um, but this was an act of, of personal revenge by one person who we had investigated. And unfortunately, the Chinese judicial system is driven more often than not by personal vendettas and revenge. Um, it's not driven by forensic evidence and so forth. 
Um, it's really, you know, somebody with influence within the Communist Party, with influence on the judges and the prosecutors and the police, who um, drives uh, an investigation and the arrest of a particular individual. So that's really um, how it happened. And unfortunately, my business was destroyed. Um, and uh, when we got out, there was no there was no hope of ever really going back to that that kind of business and that way of life. Our, our life in China was completely destroyed. Mm-hmm. What are conditions like in Chinese prisons? The conditions in prisons are very harsh, um, extremely harsh, um, but they've gotten a lot harsher in the last five or six years. They, they certainly got harsher since I left prison um, because Xi Jinping, the leader of China, has been constantly ratcheting things up um, toughening things up in the prisons. In fact, one of the first things he said when he came into power 10 years ago to his underlings was build a lot more prisons because he, he anticipated locking more people up. Um, and while I was there, I saw conditions deteriorating. And since then, I've seen them further deteriorate because one of my activities now is to mentor the families. Uh, in different places around the world and have somebody locked up in China. So I'm I'm quite aware of, of what's going on. I mean, just to give you a few examples, when I say harshness, you know, in the pre-trial detention center where somebody can be for two to three years um, without uh, moving on to a formal prison, everyone sleeps on the floor. You know, there's a dozen or more people in a small cell, um, no furniture, no bunk beds or anything like that. And, and there's no air conditioning there's in, 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 in the uh, summer and no heating in the winter. It's freezing and, and there's no hot water. The toilet is a hole in the floor in the corner of the cell. Um, you know, and the, the food is really rough. It's, it's you know, some gritty rice and, uh, and the remains of vegetables. I wouldn't call them vegetables, but the remains of vegetables stir, stir fried. Um, uh, and uh, it's, it's very repetitive. There's hardly any meat in the diet, hardly any protein. Um, and the prisoners are sort of sitting in, in those detention center cells day long uh, on the floor, and eating on the floor and, and um, sleeping on the floor. And when they move on to a prison, um, they do have bunk beds in the cells, but the cells are extremely crowded again. You know, you have, have maybe 18 um, bunks spread over two tiers, two, two levels um, in a cell. Um, and a similar thing with the hole in the floor for the toilet and, and, and a sink with cold water. Um, and uh, everything is highly regimented. Um, you know, there's, there's very little access to family through phone calls. And in fact, over the last two years, um, they've used the excuse of COVID restrictions to restrict communications even further. So, uh, Prisoners have not been able to receive letters from their families under the, under the pretext of we must quarantine the letters. Um, and they've not been allowed to receive you know, parcels, comfort parcels containing books or magazines, that sort of thing. Um, it's really been hard for, for prisoners the last two years. And because of COVID, uh, they were not allowed out of their cells um, for exercise and so forth. Uh, during COVID, it's got it's just got so much worse. And the other thing that's got worse is is um, sentence reductions, because in theory, the prisoners through good behaviour and in various ways can earn sentence reductions. 
um, to bring down their sentence so they get out of the, the, the prison sooner. Um, and what I've seen, Xi Jinping has gradually whittled away at the sentence reduction system to the point where it's really hard now for prisoners to get reduction. Um, and it, you know, it's, it's very, with a lot of despair. Yeah, you're at the mercy of a merciless system. Yes. yes. Almost two years. Peter, I always, sorry. Actually, this very appropriate label for Xi Jinping extremely cruel. And, and his whole you know, behavior, his, his psychology is uh, that of what I call the death of a thousand cuts, which is an old Chinese form of torture. In other words, he's constantly um, twisting the ratchet one more knot to cause more pain. That's what he's doing to the whole of China. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend. 